It is episode number seven of the Hit By Podcast. It is September 15th, 2021, and there are just about two weeks worth of baseball left in the Major League Baseball regular season. Hard to believe, and we've got about two weeks worth of podcast topics to get to here. And a wild card race. There's been a bit of a shakeup. The St. Louis Cardinals now in possession of that second spot while the Padres continue to slip. The AL wild card, four of five teams are currently holding or tied for a playoff spot as the Blue Jays, Red Sox, Yankees are all tied for the wild card. Blue Jays on top of them. They're still hot. We'll talk about the Jays up north. And then the AL MVP race, a debate that has kind of taken Twitter by storm. Vladimir Guerrero might win the Triple Crown, but not get AL MVP. We'll discuss. The Giants and Dodgers have clinched out west. There's a great subway series between the Mets and the Yankees on the anniversary of 9-11. And then, of course, we forgot about it last week, so we're going to talk about it this week. The Hall of Fame induction. Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, and then we'll break down next year's ballot in addition to a few other topics. Larry, season's coming to an end. Uh, we're just getting started here. This is week seven of the Hit by Pod. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. All right, Larry, we got a lot of baseball to talk about. First, let's let's kind of take a look now. There's two weeks left, about give or take two weeks left of games. We've come a long way. I feel like the baseball season, you always talk about it's the longest season of any of the pro sports. Take it the whole summer, kind of last school season, especially for us as college kids. It kind of feels like, um, you know, spans a full year. Talking about going last school season into now. Just getting into the playoffs. It's a long season, but it flies by. What can you say about how the season's gone so far? 2021, finally a full year. Well, in terms of my fandom, you know, it's hard to believe. It's hard to grasp with everything that's kind of happened with the Cubs. Um, they went from looking like contenders in April and May and maybe even a little bit in June, and then they completely tanked. So it's almost felt like two seasons in one if you're a Cubs fan, right? You go from high expectations to tanking within a matter of about a month. Uh, for everything else, I mean, you're right in the sense that baseball seasons feel long, but it has flown by, especially just looking in terms of the podcast to think this is episode, what, yeah. number seven? Seriously. Kind of hard to believe. And we were joking about it before we started recording. It seems like, for me at least, this last month of the season or so is really like slowed down. Because for the last like three podcasts we started with, oh, we're coming down the home stretch. And here we are. We're still on the home stretch. We yeah. got two weeks worth of baseball left, but it, it keeps getting better and better because the the storylines are thicker. Um, at least in my opinion, um, even though the Cubs aren't in it, my team doesn't really have a vested interest. It's been some really good baseball. I feel like a lot of Twitter is talking about it, and baseball's kind of in that mainstream sports discussion. Even though the NFL is just starting up. Yeah, we're going to get into the wild card uh, talk here soon. But, I mean, it really does slow down when every single week there's so many things happening at this point. And I guess early in the year, that type of stuff still happens. You still see the, the teams go on a run and I guess even more on. 
uh, early on in the year, that kind of swings the standings uh, with that smaller sample size. But now you like, we know what teams are good and we're still seeing these, these teams all in a three-way tie for one spot or whatever, four teams holding up two playoff spots. Like now it's, we know what teams are good. We know what these teams are. A lot of the questions are answered, but a lot of them still remain. Uh, that's what I think makes each week kind of so important as we move into September uh, near an October baseball here. Yeah, definitely. You'd almost expect maybe one of these races for the wild card to kind of ease up. Maybe you'd expect mm-hmm. the Yankees for a lo- little bit. It looked like the Yankees were going to pull away. Now it looked like the Jays were heating up. Maybe they'd pull away. And then maybe San Diego finally gets their act together and they pull away. That has not been the case. All these races up for grabs. Heck, the NL West still largely up for grabs. Dodgers two and a half games back. We'll discuss that in a little bit. But still a lot to be decided. And that's what you want as a baseball fan the last few weeks. I mean, you want to see meaningful baseball come you know, September 31st and October 1st and 2nd. Yeah, let's let's get right into it. Talk about this NL. Hold, hold on a second. September let's doesn't not. have 31 days, right? You, you know, I was just gonna let you uh, let you move on with your walk life and, walk uh, away from that one. Yeah, exactly. Ha- hand up, <laughs> hand up. 30 Takes days past September, right April, June, and November. That started playing right through my head as soon as I said September 31st. That's it's kind of embarrassing. Now now we can move on. That may actually be the most educational thing we get from this podcast today. So um, hopefully it's just uh, not downhill from here, but Larry, that song. <laughs> oh man. That's great. I'm it's late Lucas. We'll see where this goes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk NL wildcard. Now um, big name kind of coming into the mix recently. Here's the Cardinals as they kind of, you know, just jumped in taking that second wildcard spot. Now currently holding that as they swept the Mets in a three game series here. I was really surprised because for a long time, we talked about it last episode. I think the Cardinals are just kind of hanging around, right? Not really sure if they're a contender or not. Their roster's definitely got the makeup of a, of a contender, but now they're starting to play like one. Seven and three in their last 10. You mentioned a sweep over the Mets. All things considered on paper, they're a good team as well. And that series on the road, that's what really impresses me. And that's a Cardinals team that's made up of veterans, right? You've got Paul Goldschmidt. Yadier Molina, Nolan Arenado, Adam Wainwright. Those are four names right there, only four names that have so much experience, whether that's playoffs or not. Those guys know how to get the job done. They know how to win. Well, maybe Nolan Arenado doesn't because he played in Colorado for so long until he signed with St. Louis. But I that's the number one thing for me that jumps out about St. Louis in this wild card race. Because you look at Cincinnati, they're very young. They don't have the pitching and they don't certainly don't have the pitching experience of a guy like Adam Wainwright leading the rotation. And then San Diego, largely very young. St. Louis, they're vets. They know how to get the job done. They know what it takes to win. So I, I think they've probably got a leg up, and now that they've won five straight games, I mean, it really looks like they're starting to emerge from that group of teams as somebody who wants to win this wild card. Yeah, credit to you, Larry. I know you've kind of seen this coming for a few weeks now. You've talked about the the Cardinals lining up to kind of do the Cardinal thing where they just play okay baseball, they get real hot when it matters, and then all of a sudden they look like, wow, you get them in a one-game wild card and not many people are going to want to play the Cardinals. Like you said, those veterans have been there before. Every single one of them have had, you know, a deep playoff run, lots of World Series rings still, even with those you know, old farts on that team still from 2011. A lot of those guys have have the rings from then. Um, 
yeah, now they're playing good baseball on the road against an okay team, against a team for a lot of the season we thought, you know, was kind of in that same race, could be competing for that wild card spot. You know, at least a comparable team where, um, you know, the Reds then kind of shit in the bed against Pittsburgh here, not looking good when they really need to be. You know, that's kind of what that team, what we expected from them. So it's unfortunate that this battle's kind of coming out to who's not playing the worst. That's what it kind of seems like. It's like in the AL, um, you have teams that are playing really well and they're going to, they've kind of jumped ahead for that spot. And then it's just who else is then going to play really well. And then they're going to take that spot. But then it's in the NL, you got, you know, there's teams that this team's just not been playing super bad. So they kind of are in the playoffs right now. And then it's the next team to not have a slump. So two very different dynamics there, but nonetheless, you know, two really good fights still heading into these last few Yeah, games. that's kind of what it seemed like for the longest time. But now, like I said, I, I feel like the Cardinals are, are starting to heat up, you know, as a Cubs fan, not, not the best thing to watch, but they've won five straight. They're seven and three in their last 10. And the Padres and the Reds are the exact opposite of that in their last 10, three and seven. So everything's really lined up in the Cardinals' favor. And the wild card spot, even though the Cardinals are playing really well right now, that very well may come down to the last series of the season for St. Louis, which is guess where? Chicago. Chicago. And that's the World Series right there for the Chicago Cubs. October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd at Wrigley Field. They've got perhaps a chance to spoil St. Louis's playoff hopes. But then again, if the Cardinals keep playing like they are right now, they're going to gain some separation pretty quick. Yeah, so to end the year, they've got a three-game series coming up after an off day uh, against the Padres. And then they're going on the road for four against the Brewers. Um, they're on the door, 90 wins, one of the best teams in baseball. Then you got four against the Cubs, three more against the Brewers, and then that last series is against the Cubs. So, you know, a real long stretch of playing divisional opponents, uh, teams that have that a little bit of extra incentive to want to knock you out of the playoffs, especially for the Cubs. Like you said, it's kind of their World Series. They don't have really any actual achievement that they can play for at this point. So, you know, football analogy we were doing last week again you know any bear fans gonna want to knock the vikings out of the playoffs like we did any you know same thing for the packers it's just kind of bragging rights to say that you did something and i don't know kind of bring them on that that same playing field as you are just because if you're having a bad year it feels good to you know have them in that same boat with you i guess so it'll be interesting to see how they do obviously those seven games against the brewers are going to be real telling uh if they have any shot at keeping that playoff spot and then of course of course, that series against San Diego. I mean, how huge is that going to be? I think maybe, you know, it's still, I don't want to say it's still early. I mean, two weeks left in the season, but that could be really the last chance for the Padres, right? If they lose that series to St. Louis, I really don't like their chances the rest of the way because there's that head-to-head matchup that you so rarely get against a team that you're competing for the wild card with because a lot of the time that's out of division races, but this has kind of fallen into San Diego's lap. They've got one last chance to maybe make a push. And if they can take two or three from St. Louis or even sweep them, then we're looking at a totally different dynamic. Although, you know, I'm not a huge predictions guy. I'm going to go out and say that in my mind, St. Louis has got that wild card spot. All right. It's officially on record. We'll clip that posted everywhere. So we got the Larsenator. <laughs> 
putting all the money on the Cardinals right now. Yeah, it's, it'd be it's a real shame a if I Padres. jinxed them. Yeah, seriously, we'll go ahead and knock on wood for you. You're a good friend of mine, Larry. I'll at least do you that favor. <laughs> oh, man. And then again, then that comes down to that matchup with Los Angeles, who has clinched a playoff spot. So they're either going to win the NL West or win that first wild card spot, uh, barring a collapse of epic proportions. Although I don't even think that's possible. They're ahead 16 and a half games on St. Louis between the first the and second, second wild card spot. That is so insane. That's probably yeah, like tomorrow or the next day. I'm sure they'll clinch. Yes, that well, that is. They uh, already, yeah, they already. Well, they've clinched. clinched. Right. So that's mathematically impossible for them to lose that first wild card spot. So, and I know we've talked about this on past shows, but it would be the most Cardinals thing ever if they play like four months of shit baseball and stumble their way into the playoffs, and they. Go to Dodger Stadium. They pitch Adam Wainwright against either Walker Bueller or Clayton Kershaw or Max Scherzer. And Wainwright duels Max Scherzer, throws like seven innings of one run ball, shuts down this stacked Dodgers lineup. And then Cardinals sneak past him, went three to one. And then they go to San Francisco, play San Francisco in the NLDS, and somehow find a way past them. I mean, we've seen this movie so many times, especially in terms of when we've watched baseball from like 2006 on, they won that 2006 world series with a a team that won like what? 85 games. Mm -hmm. So again, I, I've just, I would not be shocked. Yeah, no. And I think the craziest thing about that is you said the Dodgers are, are 16 and a half games of the Cardinals right now. And they're going to be forced to play them, you know, potentially if the season were to end today, that's how it would pan out uh, in a one game wild card where the winner takes all. 16 and a half games right now. That's the difference between the White Sox and Kansas City, who are the fourth in the AL Central. Um, more than the difference between Houston and the Angels. So that would make them, um, you know, with a similar gap, kind of a, a playoff team. If you're kind of comparing that, maybe a little unfair to do, seeing as just that NL West is so good. But how unfair is that, that a team who's worked their way to clearly being the second best team in, in baseball, um, at least top two, you know, now has to play a team that barely just squeaked in. Um, I guess you can say, of course, they should win that game. They've won a hundred and something games. You know, they've obviously proven that they're the better team. Then it shouldn't matter in this one game. But, you know, it just kind of sucks that in baseball, which is a game of series, you know, every matchup is, is more than one game, that the one time that that's not the case is about to start off the playoffs. Yeah, that's the thing with baseball, right? It's any given day. I mean, if you toss the Baltimore Orioles in a one-game wildcard playoff against the Dodgers, they'd probably win one out of ten, right? And if you put a team like the Cardinals there, I mean, maybe they win four out of ten times or five out of ten times even just because that's kind of how the ball bounces in baseball. And I'm not entirely sure if I love the one-game wildcard setup. I don't know if I hate it either, um, but it's just kind of the nature of the beast. And that's how it goes. And I really do think that this might be the best system for baseball because I, I think the value should be placed on winning your division. And there are a lot of things that you can't control because for the Dodgers, I mean, heck, they can't control that the best team in baseball is the San Francisco Giants. And then the Dodgers are the second best team in baseball. And that's a really bad break to have the other best team in baseball in your very own division. But that's how it goes sometimes, and I'll be really interested to see how this whole I know wild card deal plays out if it is indeed Dodgers Cardinals because 
that would be really intriguing to me. Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, great way to look at it. I think winning the division, like you said, is super important. It's kind of the game within the game. Um, as you look at how the year pans out, it's all about how you stand within your division um, and how you compete. Obviously, those are the teams that you're going to see more often than any other. Um, and so I agree. I think there should be a lot of emphasis on that's kind of your main battle is winning that division. Uh, and it does give incentive then. I think it makes the playoffs maybe better than you get teams like like the Cardinals that we've talked about so many times where they just kind of squeak into that wild card um, one game. And now it's just uh, kind of more storybook-esque, I guess. You know, you get those crazy teams that you just don't expect. And in a three-game series, if that would always be the best team wins and, you know, whatever, I guess you're seeing better baseball. But it gets, uh, it adds a little layer that, you know, a little bit of more entertainment adds to the uh, reality aspect of it as we yeah oh exactly it, it adds to the i mean why do you think the nfl playoffs have such large ratings because it's one right. game right and that's why totally. game sevens have the biggest ratings because it's one game and i think the more that baseball can kind of hype that up the better and going back to the division point i mean for the longest time baseball was just the pennant winners play the play in the world series you don't even have a national league or american league playoffs and so I think maybe that's baseball just hanging on to that importance of winning the division a little bit, which I really like. I really mm-hmm. don't think that major league baseball should expand the playoffs. I think the field is fine where it is. I like that they made, they, they expanded the wild card to that second spot. I think it should stop there though. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. Like you said, I wasn't a real fan of the expanded playoffs, although it kind of worked out for my white Sox. Um, I think it's way too many teams. And um, if you look at it now, it, it kind of makes sense. The teams, really, if you look at it, the teams with a plus or a positive run differential, those are the playoff teams. It's a good cutoff where there's the good teams and the bad teams. There's not too many bad teams squeaking in, and most of the good teams are going to make the playoffs. You know, you got probably Boston might not make it. Oakland might not make it. They both have a positive but a lower end of that run differential. That's, I think, a good stat to kind of take a look at really who is the the real contenders and the real good teams. And if you kind of go off of that, most of those teams are going to make the playoffs. You know, um, Cincy and St. Louis, one's Cincy's plus 27, St. Louis minus five, both kind of around zero, both fighting for a weaker spot. Um, four of the five teams have a positive run differential in the AL East. Four of the five teams right now still fighting for that spot. Um, so maybe that's a good indicator that the system is kind of working right now and it, it, it's a perfect level of competition. Yeah, absolutely. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And baseball's never been a game that's been, how, how do I put this? Baseball's never been a game that is in a rush to change in any sort of way. And whether that's for better or for worse. And I think the playoff system at least is for the better. You mentioned the AL. How about we break down that race now? I mean, it is heated up. How about those Blue Jays? We talked about them last week. They've gotten even hotter. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. all of a sudden looking like he could win the Triple Crown. I mean, the plot has thickened a little bit. The Yankees hanging around. They've won three straight games all against Baltimore. There's just four and six in their last ten, though. Boston starting to play a little bit better, still hanging around, but Again, all three of those teams tied for a wild card spot. So it has been really fun to watch. Yeah, how crazy is that? That three teams from the same division all tied for the same spot. Uh, obviously, as that looks right now, New York and Toronto would hold the tiebreakers over Boston. 
just with the better winning percentage. Um, but yeah, seriously, just good baseball being played. And yeah, even the smaller storylines, like you said, Vlad, potential MVP candidate, potential triple crown winner. When was the last time we saw that? Miguel Cabrera, who we obviously talked about with his accomplishments in the past few weeks. Um, crazy to think he might do that for the first time, you know, send such a great season like Miguel and still might not win the MVP. There needs to be some sort of name for what Shohei is O-doing. Shohei's O-doing. <laughs> Shohei is doing right now because... A triple crown, that's like one of the most, you know, prestigious and hardest things to accomplish in baseball. And there's just nothing to describe um, what Otani's doing, obviously, with the production. Because I still think even if Vlad gets the triple crown, that Otani's still the runaway MVP here. Yeah, that, that seems to be the prevailing argument. Although you do see the occasional black sheep on Twitter saying if Vlad wins the triple crown, I mean, you can't just not give him the MVP. Well, it's like, ah, shit, sorry, buddy. We got this dude who's <laughs> pitching to a three ERA and, and hitting like 50 bombs. I mean, he's probably going to take the MVP. The one category that Vlad is not leading right now is RBIs, and he's got 103. So yeah. that's, uh, that's, that's not too shabby. And, again, if, if Vlad was playing in the National League this year, I think he'd be the runaway favorite. Mm-hmm. For MVP, but I mean, he just got unlucky. And then again, it, it comes down to a philosophy argument. Okay. Is it the most valuable player on the most or best team or the best contender? Because if it comes down to that, then Otani's not really valuable. He's playing for mm-hmm. a team that is not contending and has been mediocre all year long. And Vlad has been a guy that has really been valuable in a playoff push. But I think by the literal sense of most valuable player, it's just who's the best player in the American League this year? Who would you want to handpick to be that guy on your team? And I I think, in my opinion, that's Shohei Otani. Yeah, I love Vlad. I love that he put in so much work to go from um, a lot of people were calling him a bust, obviously a super high-regarded prospect. Um, And obviously now in his – his second full year here, putting up crazy numbers. And I I just think that like 80% of that production on offense, plus, you know, being a top 30 pitcher in the game, top 30 starting pitcher in the game, that's just too much of a, a value. Yeah, like like you said, it's it's the most valuable player. He's he's just doing so much for your team. He's helping you win um by doing both keeping their runs lower as well as adding more runs to your side. So it's like every five days when you can have someone like that and it's not like they're doing it at a poor level. It's not like Otani's a bad pitcher. Like if he went out there and had like a, a four or five ERA um, pitched about like four or five innings a game, I still think that might be close enough to say, wow, this dude's like kind of close to an average pitcher and hitting 40, 50 bombs that's close to MVP, even with what Vlad's doing. But I mean, this guy's good at what he does. It's it's crazy to think that he's doing both at such a high level that, you know, it's working for them. But I think you nailed it. Uh, you know, Vlad's just doing more for his team and putting them in a better position. He's the value that he's adding is meaningful value because of how good his team is, I guess. So while I'm not the type of guy to say, well, then that shouldn't go to Shohei, I think that, they, that it should. 
um, that is such a great point. You know, it's actually meaningful when your team's in a playoff push. It ironically is it's almost like a Mike Trout argument, right? Because Trout has been in this situation almost every time he's had an MVP season. It's like the angels aren't good, but here's Mike Trout being the best player in baseball all over again. It really is a shame that all that has gone to waste because I'd love to see Mike Trout. I'd love to see Shohei Otani in a playoff race in Los Angeles, but it just has not been meant to be. I suppose you mentioned the pitching numbers for Otani three, three, one ERA and 51 innings pitched. 63 strikeouts to 22 walks. I mean, 1.16 whip. That's that's pretty darn good. Uh, it, that's that's 2018 numbers. But whoops. Uh, looking at the 2021 numbers, 336 ERA. So close. 115 innings pitched, and then a whip of 1.18. So that's consistency right there. 136 yeah. strikeouts to 41 walks. And all that while putting up those numbers. And honestly, I do think Otani kind of, this is a weird phrase to use in terms of an MVP race. He kind of controls his own destiny, right? If he beats Vlad in that home run category, he's only trailing him by one right now. I think that kind of puts this argument to bed, even though that Vlad has had an MVP caliber season. I think if Shoei just makes sure that Vlad does not win the triple crown, I think he's got it in the bag. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point because the triple crown is just so hard to do. Um, and even like, even if, you know, Vlad hit, say he hits 50 home runs and, and is tied for that and doesn't like get the outright triple crown, you know, even though it's weird to think that just because Salvador Perez hit one more home run even and takes that, you know, title of having the triple crown away from him. Um, it's weird to think that, you know, Vlad might not be able to control his own destiny because he can only do as good as he does. He can't control what Perez or Otani does RBI wise or home run wise. So yeah, Otani much is much more in a position where he can go out and, and still, you know, perform well, reach that milestone, whatever it is for home runs that it's going to end up being. Um, Vlad not doesn't necessarily have that same power. So um maybe that gives a bit of a bit more of an edge to show. Yeah. And honestly, if, if Vlad wins the triple crown, I mean, heck that's so tempting. If I had a ballot, I might vote for Vlad just because he won the triple crown. I mean, how rare is that? Of course we've seen it in our lifetime, but before Miguel Cabrera didn't do it or did it, we didn't see it. Mm-hmm. It was Carl Yastrzemski, right? And that was when, I don't even remember when. That was, it was a long time ago, well before we were kicking. <laughs> yeah, it's like just because we've seen it recently doesn't mean that it's not like some amazing accomplishment, you know. So that is interesting, especially if, if the Blue Jays make the playoffs, um, maybe even get like that that home field advantage in that wild card game or or something, you know, something like that. The Blue Jays look like the far and away best team. Um, outside of the Rays, or they just look really good, then maybe that also kind of plays into it. Uh, Obviously, we already know they have the better team, so that's already kind of a factor there. Just the fact that he's competing helps. Um, But yeah, I'd be interested to see if they end up with that number one wildcard spot and he does end up with the Triple Crown. I think that's definitely, obviously, his best odds at getting the MVP as well. Absolutely. And going back to that, 
AL wildcard race, which kind of sparked this whole conversation. I really don't think that Vlad would be in this conversation as much as he is if Toronto was not as good as they are. Because really, just on paper right now, I, I think they're the hottest team in that division still. Mm-hmm. And of course, Tampa Bay still hanging on to that lead, leading all those three teams that are tied by eight games, which is so, so impressive. I mean, we can't really understate that the Tampa Bay has played so good to stave off all these teams that bought at the deadline and went all in and they're trying to catch them. They just can't. And so these two teams, whoever comes out of the East for this wild card, their destiny is going to come down to one game while the race just get to, you know, as we mentioned, get that advantage of just not having to play in a one, one game wild card, which is there's something to be said for that. But Toronto, in my mind, I mean, over the last few weeks, I mean, they, they have proved that they're legit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like they made the moves, they got starting pitching. Um, they presented themselves as contenders at the deadline. You know, they obviously were buyers and now it's kind of working out. You know, Berrios is, was that piece that they needed now that they have the starting pitching. They've always had the offense. It's finally clicking now. And um, they're taking, you know, advantage of the Yankees not playing too hot lately. And it's just put them right in that in contention, you know, for that spot. So really glad to see that they've kind of gotten to that point that they wanted to be at. Obviously, they've had a lot of young talent uh, in their system and on their team. But even as far as like a month or two ago, we were still saying we're not sure if they're quite there yet because uh, just at the time, you know, they weren't we kind of written them out. I think we'd even talked about a few times. We've just yeah. kind of written the Blue Jays out of, out of this fight. And so, you know, credit to them. And it just shows what their offense can do with a little bit of pitching help. Um, we should have been, you know, we should have been seeing this coming just like you saw the yeah. Cardinals coming. We yeah. Seen this. Yeah. We, we dropped the ball on this one. I think it was episode <laughs> probably like four or five. We're looking at the standings. We're like, yeah, Blue Jays, they're probably out of it at this point. <laughs> I mean, there was so much baseball left that you'd think we'd know better. But, hey, that's uh, that's baseball for you, baby. I'm, I'm rooting for the Blue Jays because we, we talked about it last episode. I think we had a good discussion about it. Baseball is a little, a little bit more fun when you got that big crowd at the Rogers Center and that place is jumping. At the very least, I hope the Blue Jays get that home wild card game. Yeah, that's very true. Exactly. I'd love a, a nice playoff moment to remember from Toronto, even if this isn't their year to go all the way. Um yeah, you nailed it. Just baseball's better, MLB is better when there's good when there's good ball being played uh, north of the border. Absolutely. And then looking at another team in that AL East, Lucas, the Yankees, they had quite the weekend in New York, taking on the Mets Subway Series at City Field for the 20th anniversary of 9/11. A very touching, emotional ceremony for Game One or I think that was game two of the series on Saturday mm-hmm. where the two teams, you know, swapped lines for the national anthem, you know, stood as one New York. It was very, very well put together ceremony. And then the next day, the bench is clear. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was fantastic. And I did not watch admittedly. I did not watch a lot of baseball over the last week, busy schedule, but I've followed it on Twitter and such. That game sucked me in, man. I turned it on middle innings. And there was some great baseball. I don't know if you had a chance to watch the Sunday night game, but it was electric. Francisco Lindor, three home runs. And the camera shots and the broadcast and the production for ESPN was so good. 
Lindor hit that third home run. They immediately cut to Stanton, who was pissed in the outfield, kind of standing there. And then the game came down to the wire in the bottom of the ninth, and the Mets eventually hung on. It was it was a really, really good game. Yeah, it was an awesome series to have um, during that time for the 20th anniversary. I feel like baseball is kind of um, – associated with a lot of the recovery phases after 9-11 like once baseball came back and you know George Bush throwing out the first pitch like uh, for me at least a lot of those memories are associated with like just 9-11 obviously I didn't remember what happened or what was going on um, in the country when that did happen but the memories I do have are just the baseball clips you know like I mentioned and what a way to have you know that kind of be remembered 20 years after Um, it was like you know reality tv again i just keep talking about it but like you said that i saw that clip i didn't watch the game actually but i did see um the clips obviously of lindor's home run after john carlo and then like you said the camera shot cutting straight to john carlo standing in the outfield like he just rained on his parade um that's great there's so many celebrities so many big names um between those two teams so many personalities so what a good series to have go back and forth um and yeah, it, I mean, just perfect timing for it too. It was important baseball for both of them. Matt's kind of still thinking they maybe have a little bit of a shot, but you know, playing the Yankees, that's always going to get Mets fans, uh, the Mets players um, riled up and looking forward to it. Plus obviously the anniversary, it was just a great weekend for that. And I'm um, glad it kind of went the way that it did. The thing that struck me the most about that game was that atmosphere at City Field. I mean, after Lindor hit that third home run, I mean, there were people jumping up and down on top of the dugout. It wasn't just like one or Mm -hmm. two people. It was like a handful of people had the Puerto Rican flag going and everything. I saw Cespedes family barbecue tweet about it. Great baseball account. They tweeted this. This feels like Dominican winter ball and Dominican (laughs) winter ball is notoriously known for just electric atmospheres, crazy crowds and the whole nine yards and everything that comes with that. They said it really felt like that atmosphere at City Field, which is kind of what baseball needs, right? Coming down the home stretch of the season, they need good crowds. They want baseball to look fun. And I think that Mets Yankees series is kind of a picture of everything baseball wants to be right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, with, with the way that the MLB season is, just how long it is, the hardest part is, is finding a way to make you know, these regular season games matter, make, make there be a reason for people to want to watch it from a fan's perspective. Um, and from the league's perspective, obviously there's not really much that the league had to do to make this, um, meaningful or, or must watch baseball. It's just obviously the two New York teams, everybody wants to watch that. And, you know, it ended up being something, uh, like I just said, you know, a reason to watch a regular season baseball game. There's 162 of them pretty much, any, game, any day of the summer, uh, you can go watch baseball if you want. So why tune into this? Why tune into Sunday Night Baseball and watch these two teams? We obviously, you know, we're rewarded if you did tune in. Um, and that's a good thing for baseball. I think this this season has had a few moments like that. We talked about it with the Field of Dreams. Um, now this uh, series, obviously, happening. Um, the Little League World Series game being played, something kind of along those lines. Steps in the right direction for sure um, and hope to see more more things like this and more just, you know, um, I don't I can't really think of what the word is to describe these types of these well, types must of watch baseball, games. must right? watch baseball because yeah, exactly. I mean, for any sports fan, there's 
there are those select few games every season in at least the NFL. And the same can be said for the NBA in the regular season a little bit. I mean, you got the Christmas games. Those are prime time. Everybody kind of watches those. But even down the stretch of the season, there are a few games where, and by all means, I'm a casual NBA fan. There are a few games where I'm like, okay, I, I should probably tune into this because this is a great juicy matchup. Everybody on Twitter's talking about it. You don't get that as often in baseball because it's so watered down with 162 games. But you mentioned the Field of Dreams game and a few other games. Major League Baseball quickly realized that that Sunday night baseball game between the Mets and Yankees was probably one of the best games all year. And they immediately posted about it on Instagram. They said, well, what's been the game of the year so far? And they listed Mm -hmm. the Field of Dreams game up there. They listed that Mets-Yankees. They listed one of the Dodgers-Padres games in there. And for me, there have been a few games where I have been doing schoolwork or a had been busy earlier in the evening. Then I get back home and I sit down, look at Twitter. and I'm like, Oh, I need to turn on that game. One of them was a Dodgers Padres game that ended up going six, 16 innings. And I fell asleep during it. Another was that Mets Yankees game. And then of course the field, the dreams game. So it's good to see baseball getting that buzz. And I, I do think that they're doing a better job kind of promoting it. Yeah, I think, yeah, exactly. Such a great idea to get the discussion talking about these good regular season games. I think uh, if you go on Twitter and see people talking about a baseball game, that's definitely a good sign. You know, it's pretty easy to have, you know, see a lot of people talking about a a Bears touchdown or, you know, the Bulls trading for this guy. But it's not every day you go and see just like a casual friend or a a casual um, Twitter user, you know, talking about a baseball game. So I don't know what it's going to be that gets – that discussion happening more, whether it's the MLB promoting themselves more or, um, you know, whatever it is to get more drama and action in these games and, and um, more fan interaction. Cause obviously that's what it's all about getting people invested in the games, getting fans watching and getting the money in. And then, um, you know, just kind of trying to fix baseball. I feel like a lot of people in the past few years have, have been talking about that. Um, as if something's wrong with this board. I mean, it's it's perfect. It's flawless. What can you possibly oh, fix about it? Exactly. How can you not be romantic about baseball? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. With, with baseball, I think there's two factors that come into play in terms of making it must-watch. And one kind of is that romanticism of the game and, and looking at the past. And it's America's pastime, right? Even though I really don't generally believe in my heart of hearts that baseball is America's pastime. I mean, it has not been the most popular sport in America for years and years and years that's belonged to football. And they've held that crown for a very long time now since probably the, the eighties or even sooner, but Mm -hmm. there is that nostalgia factor of everybody played baseball growing up and everybody's dad liked to sit in the garage and watch baseball or listen to baseball on those summer nights. And everybody not everybody I'm generalizing here. Of course, a lot of people can tap into those memories when they sit down and watch a good baseball game in the middle of the summer. And then the other factor, in my opinion, at least making baseball popular and and trying to get a little more mainstream during the regular season is promoting those electric personalities. I mean, you look at that Mets Yankees game, Francisco Lindor, big personality, Javier Baez, big personality. They were under fire in New York for the whole thumbs down incident, which we detailed on one of our podcast episodes, which by all means was really stupid. But then all of a sudden they rise again. There's this big hero. Lindor is the hero defeating the Yankees, who are generally one of the heels of baseball, the villain, uh, Aaron Judge, 
and Giancarlo Stanton. Those are big names. And then you look at the West Coast games, Dodgers, Padres, you got the big names, Fernando Tatis, Mookie Betts. The more that Major League Baseball embraces those personalities, which I think they've done a good job doing, the better. Um, and the more that fans kind of let them and let those players be themselves, the better. And, and the more the game's going to take off. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think um, promoting the players is easily the best way to just draw attention to the game. Um, I think baseball is kind of historically, from my eyes, been a game where um, the game itself, or obviously baseball is known for having unwritten rules and just kind of the external factors about the game kind of push people away from being big personalities in the game. Um, you don't really see a lot of um, dramatic, um, you know, post-game interviews or responses to the media. And I guess kind of looking back on it now, I kind of like that Javi was like that and straight up and honest and, and just causing drama with him and the fans. Like it does add to the entertainment and it, add, it gives you a reason to kind of want to watch that next Mets game. Um, and it's because the player has a personality, you know, if they're given the same robotic answer uh, every time, like, you know, just got to do, just got to do what gets the, the team, the best opportunity to win. You know, I'm just doing this to get the team riled uh -huh. up so that we can win this game. Like nobody really buys that shit. And that's not what's going to get somebody watching the next game, you know? So something like Javi, you know, saying the fans, you guys need to be better. Well, he may not be true. And that may be kind of a weird way to think about it. It at least, you know, draws attention to him in that game the next day, I feel like. So um, I don't know what the game can do or what maybe the players themselves will have to start doing to go the direction towards um, promoting that and promoting personality within the game. But um, it helps. You know, we're here talking about it weeks afterwards. So I guess that's proof enough right there. Yeah, well, it's the whole this league factor, right? That's why <laughs> the NBA dominates Twitter and Instagram yeah. and TikTok and social media. It's because these players have their personalities. And like you mentioned, you, they get the chance to kind of showcase that, whether that's on social media or post-game interviews or in-game, you know, basketball and, and football to an extent kind of embrace those personalities and baseballs and has less of an opportunity for players to do that. Although I think we're seeing now that players are more and more finding opportunities to embrace their personality and, and show that off during games, which definitely is a good thing. And it makes things more intense and definitely more fun to watch. And I do think that there's, there's a balance between still hanging on to certain unwritten rules and the tradition of the game and letting players just embrace emotion right for so long baseball's just been no emotion just go run the bases after you hit a home run no don't celebrate put your head down act like you've been there before well what's wrong with acting like you hadn't been there before when a player literally maybe hadn't been there before you know yeah i i think baseball generally is moving in the right direction and and there is a balance to all that yeah and i think it's a a great balance of opportunity too because the league now has a handful of young stars that that um you know are the types of players that will bring this personality it's not every day that you can look at the league and say you know we have um a vlad a shohei a fernando tatis a juan soto available to market the league hasn't had these types of players in the past few years you know um i feel like really the talent level in the game right now between uh kind of a certain top handful maybe the highest it's been 
in my lifetime. Obviously, we're going to talk soon here about some some Hall of Famers, but even them, like I feel like some of these guys that are in the league right now have higher ceilings than the people on this list. You know, it's crazy to think about, but these are the players that if the MLB really markets the right way and allows even to market themselves the right way, this is like the group that um, could actually have some positive change for the league moving forward, you know, in, in 10, 15, 20 years, say. Oh, exactly. And so many people talk about how the Sosa McGuire home run race kind of saved baseball after the strike in the nineties, mm-hmm. this in a lot of ways could kind of have the same effect or it could just flounder. Uh, they got to get attendance numbers up. They got to get those social media numbers up. They got to get their money up, not their funny up. As the kids <laughs> might say, and, and using these players to market the game, I think is, is a great way to do that. And honestly, when you think of those names, you think Fernando Tatis, Flat Jr., not even Mike Trout. I mean, Shohei Otani comes up in that discussion, but even Mike Trout, who has been generally the face of baseball, doesn't even come to mind in that face of baseball discussion, at least this season to me. Yeah, that's crazy to think about, like, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, he had like an 1,100 OPS before he got hurt, but I don't even think he's the face of his own team at this point. Like right now, he's just kind of – you had your opportunity to build the league around him and be, build like your marketing, the direction of the league around him and kind of you know build off of what he's doing because it really was historical. I mean, his numbers are insane. He Hitting-wise, Albert Pujols plus playing gold glove center field, I mean – a once in a generational talent that may end up just kind of getting looked over as one of those guys who was good and, you know, wasn't on the best team when in reality, that's not what it, I mean, that is exactly what it was. Don't get me wrong, (laughs) but you know, it's so much more than that. He was such a good player that um, maybe there just, there was no way to really capture that for the league um, since he was on a bad team. So I don't know if it was just maybe the league not doing enough or, um, just the, the fact that baseball has just kind of been in a weird spot the past like 10 years, I'd say. Um, but it was kind of a missed opportunity. And I think, like I said, now baseball has been given a new set of cards to kind of see how they play out. We'll see. Uh, I'm, we'll see I'm we so excited just, just having this conversation to think about like that potential. These could right. be the guys that, that kind of change the narrative around baseball. I hope that's the case. Heck, it might not be, but I think we just kind of solve baseball's problems right there, Lucas, with that discussion. I mean, it it, every, every week I come away from from our podcast and this recording feeling a little bit better about baseball. That's right? All right? We, we have these these wholesome discussions like, oh, baseball, man, it's it's great. Now it's coming back. They got all this young talent. I mean, frankly, we didn't plan this, but it, sometimes it just happens. And I, I really do, in my heart of hearts, believe that, these guys like Fernando Tatis, Vlad Jr., Mookie Betts, Tim Anderson, those guys, they can pull young fans in and even guys outside of that. And there's there's a lot that baseball can bring to a number of communities around the United States. And I think there's a lot of value in the game and it's far from dead. Yeah, absolutely. I think baseball, obviously, we're two big baseball guys. It always holds a, a place in our hearts that maybe non-baseball people just don't see, but I mean, it wasn't too long ago, me and Will were just walking by a few little leaguers, just stopping by to watch and play just because, I don't know, it's just something about baseball. It's like it feels like a community game. You know, you got 
20 people out there playing the game at, you know, and I don't know. I just, I just love baseball and um, exactly. It just feels like it needs, it just needs something. I don't know. I don't know where need, I'm going need with some that. juice, man. It, it needs, needs some juice. juice. And, and I think we've got it. I think we've it, got it. It needs the hit by podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Rob's obviously listening. We know that. Um, longtime fan of the hit by pod is Rob Manfred. And hopefully he feels the same way that, you know, he just feels a little bit better about the game each week. Man. Well, that, that got deep fast again. <laughs> uh, we should probably move along here before, before the tears start flowing. How about a little <laughs> hall of fame ceremony? Speaking of the old guard in baseball, Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, they get their hall of fame inductions uh, last week on a Wednesday. Speaking of problems in baseball, what the hell are we doing? Having the Hall of Fame induction on this random Wednesday in September. We forgot about it. A baseball podcast forgot to discuss the Hall of Fame because literally we just kind of forgot it was happening the very next day. Yeah. And I mean, if you're literally anything other than staying at home on the couch in the middle of the week, you're going to miss it. <laughs> like, that's just so weird that, I mean, Derek Cheater especially Larry Walker, obviously a a great player, but Derek Jeter, like you would think that this is something that is talked about more like a primetime spot, at least after people are off of work, not middle of the day on a Wednesday. Yeah. Like to your point, I mean, we didn't even kind of realize that it's something we should be talking about because it was just happening the next morning. So super weird, but it did happen. And it gives us the opportunity to talk about um, two great players, but how great, and I think that's kind of where a lot of people differ, especially on someone like Derek Jeter. Larry, I've said my whole life, um, ever since he, what I think, wrongfully took a gold glove from Alexei Ramirez, that Derek Jeter is overrated. Um, great player, Hall of Famer, no doubt in my mind. But I just think that I just think that he's not um, a Mount Rushmore type guy. But I'm interested to see your opinion on Derek Jeter. Um, and your thoughts on him as, you know, one of the all-time greats now that he's in the hall. My opinion on Derek Jeter is complex because one, as a baseball fan who is not born in New York City and was not raised a Yankees fan, of course, I inherently hate the Yankees, right? You got a guy like Derek Jeter as the face of the Yankees for as long as I could remember. As soon as I started watching baseball, it's Derek Jeter, Derek Jeter, Derek Jeter, Derek Jeter until he retired. And his story really seemed like this whole storybook deal, right? Grew up a Yankees fan, wanted to play for the Yankees. Is this superstar, gets drafted by the Yankees, signed by the Yankees, comes up and plays for the Yankees his whole career. It's fantastic, right? It's kind of that all-American dream, right? Kid grows up playing baseball. It's almost too perfect. And then because he plays in the biggest market, one of the biggest markets in the United States, He's going to be the center of attention. And it was almost like because he played in New York, he wasn't just a baseball player. He was kind of a transcendent figure, right? He was a celebrity. You think baseball, you think a a select number of names. And Derek Jeter from probably 2000 until even 2015 after he retired, you think baseball, you think Derek Jeter. And so as a result, even if he his performance on the field wasn't the best, everybody's going to think, okay, Derek Jeter, he's up in those top five players in Major League Baseball. And Alex Rodriguez for a little bit was like that as well. Barry Bonds, maybe a little bit. But Derek Jeter was, was kind of the face of baseball, 
We talked Mike Trout, face of baseball, Mookie Betts, and Fernando Tatis Jr. But, I mean, Derek Jeter, literally the face of baseball for the longest time. So, of course, there's going to be hype around him. In terms of the numbers, that that O word, overrated, comes up so much in terms of Derek Jeter. The first thing that I look at in terms of value of a player is, did he help his team win? And, of course, he did. You know, he won those World Series in the 90s, and then the Yankees came and won that second World Series, or at least that one World Series that both of us remember in 2009. And Derek Jeter was in the center of that. So in terms of winning, did the guy win? Of course he won. He was in New York. He played for the Yankees. So in terms of that, he's not overrated. In terms of the numbers, I always thought for for a long while, just because he got talked about so much and he played New York, he was overrated. And I was having a discussion with one of my buddies here at Bradley about Derek Jeter and being overrated. I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. Let me look up the numbers. So you look up Hall of Fame shortstops in Major League Baseball. And of course, you know, as weird as it sounds, I don't think being a Hall of Famer is the end-all be-all of being a, a great baseball player. I think there are a lot of great shortstops that aren't in the Hall of Fame. But of course, Hall of Fame, best of the best. Baseball's Hall of Fame, notoriously stingy. You look at the list. You see guys like Louis Aparicio, Luke Appling, Ernie Banks, Lou Bordreau, George Davis, Travis Jackson, Derek Jeter, Barry Larkin, Pee Wee Reese, Cal Ripken Jr., Phil Rizzuto, Ozzie Smith, Joe Tinker, Alan Trammell, Honus Wagner, Robin Yount. Those are the Hall of Fame shortstops. I didn't name all of them, but those are just some of the best of the best mm-hmm. in terms of Hall of Fame shortstops. You look at where Derek Jeter ranks in offensive numbers compared to some of these guys. Lucas, let me ask you a question. Who's the best shortstop of all time in your mind? Best shortstop of all time in my na- my mind, I would probably say mm, top of my head, I want to say Kyle Ripken Jr., but maybe I would say Honus. Fair enough. T- two very good names. In my mind, I think maybe Ozzie Smith, Kyle Ripken Jr., Honus Wagner. Those guys come I would mind. say, yeah, just real quick comment. I think Ozzie played the best shortstop. I think When I think of like shortstop, I think, you know, Ozzy, but I don't think necessarily he was the best player. Um, he was the best shortstop, but go on. In terms of like position shortstop, I think Ozzy probably was the best defender of the shortstop yeah. position. And the whole defense thing, that's a whole other discussion. But right now I'm just looking at the hitting, the hitting numbers, pure hitting. You look at Cal Ripken Jr., a 276 lifetime batter, 3,000 hits, check that box, 431 home runs, 1,695 RBIs and 36 stolen bases. Taking a look at Ozzie Smith's numbers, a 262 career hitter, lower than probably a lot of people think. He did not have 3,000 hits, 2,460, only 28 home runs in his career, and 793 RBIs. And a lot of that home run and RBI total has to do with the fact that he batted leadoff. He was an on-base guy, 337 on-base percentage. I mean, in, in modern numbers, I don't think people would say, oh, wow, that's greatest of all time numbers. Then you move down the list to Honus Wagner, 327 career average, obviously very solid, 391 on-base percentage, 3,415 career hits, 101 home runs back in the day. I don't think home runs were something that many people paid attention to. But the number that jumps off the page for him is the RBIs, 1,732, best among shortstops 
in the Hall of Fame. How do Derek Jeter's numbers compare to that? The bottom line, 310 career hitter, 377 on base percentage, 440 slugging, 3,465 hits, the most of any shortstop in the Hall of Fame, 260 home runs, 1,311 RBIs. And just looking at those numbers flat out, I don't think Derek Jeter's overrated. A 310 career hitter, 3,400 career hits. That is so, so good. 260 home runs. That's better than most of the shortstops in the Hall of Fame. So just based on a purely hitting standpoint, I don't think by any means Derek Jeter was overrated. Now you look at the defense where it's a little harder to measure in terms of metrics. When you think defensive shortstops, I think so many people our age and even younger or a little bit older probably think Derek Jeter. When he was young, he played such a fantastic defensive shortstop, and that's what earned him that reputation. But then you move down the line, tail end of his career, he was probably a below average shortstop. But he got the job done, and because he played such a good shortstop younger in his major league career, he still had that reputation of, oh, the best defensive shortstop in baseball and won all those gold gloves kind of purely based on reputation and the New York writers knowing Derek and, and Derek being Derek. Uh, so if there's a spot that DJ is a little overrated, it's, it's on defense. But if somebody asked me the question after everything that I just laid out, all things considered, is Derek Jeter overrated? I'd say no, probably not. Yeah, you brought up a lot of great points. I think you did a good job of, of capturing what Derek Jeter is. And while I'm going to come out here and say that Derek, jo- Derek Jeter is overrated, I'm not going to front about that. I, I do sometimes find myself saying, okay, maybe Derek Jeter is just, he's rated. He, he is what he is. Like he is a 3,000, like you said, the most hits um, for any shortstop all time. Um, and that's, you know, that's a great stat that, that is what it is. He is the, the most, he has accumulated the most hits from that position, um, in his career, a three ten I believe lifetime hitter that is, you know, well above average, um, a very good lifetime mark. He's a great hitter, his championships. He's got five world series, world series MVP. Um, you know, what does that tell you? it tells you that his team was the best team that year. And of course, I'm going to be very specific and not say that he was, he was the best that year, you know, um, very, very um, most amount of games you can have in a world series is seven. So even if a world series MVP, I think that's just kind of the hottest seven game stretch or whatever. Um, And that's why, that's why I start to lean towards now getting into Derek Jeter is overrated some of the things, well, maybe the one thing that I think is huge that he doesn't have is an MVP. Um, it's hard to say that he's one of the best players of all time, which obviously he is. He is one of the best players of all time. But he wasn't ever the best player for one year. Even in his, you know, there's two MVPs a year, AL and NL MVP. He never won his league's MVP. He was never the most valuable player in the league. You can argue, and I will argue, he was never the most valuable player on his team. Like you said, um, played the shortstop position. That means something. He played um, good defense for most of his career at shortstop, 
what he didn't do was make plays that the average shortstop wouldn't do. I think like he made the fine plays, but he didn't really do anything that as a shortstop is going to go then win you a game. You know, he didn't lose you a game for making costly errors, but he didn't go out and make um, crazy good defensive plays. And I think that's why his defensive number, numbers are really, really bad because, you know, within his little bubble, he was a great shortstop. Maybe even could have been a better second baseman for that reason. Didn't have the most range, um, but it's Derek Jeter. He's the captain of the Yankees. He's the shortstop for the Yankees. He was never going to leave that shortstop spot. Um, that's who he was. And again, I think that just kind of adds to, um, it kind of gives him value without giving him value. Um, when he obviously was inducted last week, I was in a Facebook group chat or a Facebook group, uh, about MLB, the show. So obviously the comments here are going to be a little interesting. The opinions in that group are just ridiculous, but I ended up um, getting into discussion with Yankees fans about the same Ooh, topic. Mm, that's, that's never, never Not a, somewhere you want to find yourself. Battle. Yeah. And he, the one thing that really irked me that he was trying to, um, say like or or prove on why Derek Jeter was so good he goes dude he was the captain of the Yankees there's only been three other there's been three people all time that were the captain of the Yankees I'm like dude I that doesn't that's, that's the shit. stupidest Who thing cares? I'm, I'm sorry yeah, I agree it's so I think like not to the same extent but like World Series it's like an award to for their career and that's like a milestone that you want to have on your career but you need to really see what that says about you and or like what that says about that specific player. Like a World Series to one guy doesn't mean the same to another guy. I guess, I don't know. You know what I mean? Because like he obviously meant a lot to all those teams. He was a crucial part. He was the heartbeat, as he says, as it says on his plaque for those teams. But it's still like a team accomplishment in my eyes. So what does Derek Jeter do himself not – Derek Jeter and the Yankees do that sets him apart from like all the other best players of the game. You know, he was a really good hitting shortstop for a really long time on a, lots of really good teams. Like the only yeah. time he even said in his, um, uh, I think actually it was like a quick interview with Posada about Jeter. Posada was like, yeah, Jeter said to me the only time that he was ever playing and it didn't matter was when he got his fi- in his final game. The Yankees were eliminated from postseason contention. Um, they weren't really playing for anything, and that was like the only time of Jeter's career that he could say that. So he's definitely the benefit of a good environment, a good team. You know, as the Yankee, your team is – there's always going to be money around you. You're never going to have to deal with ownership, not being um, able to pull the trigger on, you know, a certain player or whatever. So I think that kind of inflates his value. Um especially to Yankees fans. So maybe the, that's a better way of putting it than overrated. I think his just value is inflated. I think it it's there and he is a great player. There is value there. He was super good, but I think it just in through a certain scope means more than it should. Okay. I get what you're saying. You're, you're saying overrated in an intelligent manner. His Ooh. value is inflated. <laughs> Where do you you got a monocle to put on when you say that? Yeah, <laughs> Derek Jeter, <laughs> slightly overvalued. <laughs> um, in terms of the defense, I, I was doing a little digging on 
on his baseball reference page. I'm not a huge sabermetrics guy, admittedly. I don't have a, a huge grasp on a lot of these numbers. But one thing I think is pretty telling in terms of his defense is total zone fielding runs above average. So it's listed as RTOT on baseball reference. And zero represents an average fielder either way. And then, of course, negative, you're costing your team some runs. And positive, you're saving your team some runs. There was one, two, just two seasons where Derek Jeter had a positive RTOT. Mm. All the rest were negative. And especially at the tail end of his career, his last season, he had negative 28. That's really, really bad. Um, But even... 1996, when he won Rookie of the Year, negative 14, negative 3 in 1997, 2 in 1998, negative 11 in 1999, negative 23 in 2000, negative 17 in 2001, negative 18 in 2002. And obviously, he did play better defense than I think those numbers indicate. Yeah. Uh, however, I think those sabermetrics and that stat in particular is a good measure of how good defensive players are and it's very it's it's something that is hard to quantify defense admittedly because errors are are kind of a a shaky stat just looked at without context um outside of the context of a game you know just looking at the amount of errors somebody has that's that's hard to determine their defensive value quite frankly uh so those sabermetrics excuse me that's where you really start to dig in to the true value of somebody's defense. And I think the sabermetrics say that Derek Jeter was maybe an average defender at the shortstop, but you mentioned it. He was a good hitting shortstop for a very, very long time. And in a position where defense is so highly valued, you don't always get good hitting shortstops or power hitting second baseman or good hitting catchers. Right. And he was just one of those positions where I was like, okay, like this guy was really, really good. And I think a lot of his greatness is is surrounded the persona. And you mentioned the captain whole deal. I don't think that plays into whether or not somebody's overrated. Like that's so it's cheesy for a lack of a better term. It means yeah. a lot for the Yankees. Don't get me wrong. And it does mean a lot, but like it's not that big a deal. Yeah, in terms of a Hall of Fame a resume player. or like, is, is this guy the greatest of all time? Right. In my eyes, is Derek Jeter a top 10 player of all time? No. Is he top 15? No. Is he top 20? Probably not. Is he top 25? Probably not. If you tell a Yankees fan, if you ask them that question, is Derek Jeter a top 10 player of all time? I say half of them say yes. Yeah. If you say top 20, I'd say probably 90% of them say yes. Mm-hmm. So again, it's it's a biased thing. But at the end of the day, flat out, is Derek Jeter overrated? I say no. You can say he's, he's slightly inflated in terms of value, however you want to spin it. That's just one of those debates. It's low-key turned into baseball's goat debate, right? Because yeah, you always no, – with basketball fans, you always debate, okay, who's the goat? MJ or Jordan? In baseball, you debate, oh, is he overrated? I don't know. Yeah, it, tells, it says a lot. It says a lot that Michael Jordan was there at the Hall of Fame induction. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, yeah, it says a lot about kind of how you see the game and who you are as a fan. Um, I guess how you would rank someone like Jeter's career. Uh, to, make, to make my last little push on the overrated case, I think, you know, with the stats that you gave, 
at best you could say he was like a slightly above average um, shortstop, even for the games that he did play. That's like, at best you could say he was okay. Still had, you know, five gold gloves though. So I think that's one of those things that you can look at and say, you know, five gold gloves is a really good looking stat where it would make someone's career look really good, but maybe it doesn't hold as much value. And while I think maybe um, those saber metrics don't mean everything, I certainly think that they don't mean nothing. Um, and that's my final stance on Derek Jeter. Yeah, there's honestly, I'm a, I'm a big. Uh, there's a medium for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not an extremist politically. I'm not an extremist in terms of like hot sports takes or anything like that. I think there's a middle to everything. I, I think there's something to be said for gold gloves. But those are very subjective. I think there's something to be said for sabermetrics, but those a lot of the times can be taken out of context. So I think all things considered, take a blend of both, consider both a little bit. And at the end of the day, I think Derek Jeter, one of the greatest baseball players of our generation that at least we had a little bit of time to watch when he was truly great and uh, maybe a little overrated perhaps, but in my mind, he's not. Yeah, and another thing that um, I think this kind of past week allowed the opportunity for us to take a look at some of the moments like throughout these guys' career that uh, you don't always see right off the bat. Like everyone knows the Jeter flip relay play against Oakland. Um, But then, you know, obviously these inductions, they have a whole career to cover. Um, There's a whole career for backing up why they are where they are when they are being inducted. Um, And so it's interesting to see some of those other plays that you don't always think about. Um, and Larry Walker, you know, a career that isn't as uh, high profile and in the media as Derek Jeter's, but someone, you know, obviously it was really nice to still kind of see and learn about uh, why he was truly a Hall of Famer and not just Hall of Really Good or anything like that. Um, but I really want to talk about these next upcoming guys on this next ballot because, Larry, I'll tell you, my first thought when I saw this group was, holy shit, I'm getting old. Because if you tell me that Tim Lincecum's Hall of Fame eligible now like i want to be playing with him on mlb the show right now not wondering if he's a hall of famer that is crazy to me dude i had the same thought i mean prince fielder is on this hall of fame ballot david ortiz a rod like what they just stopped playing like last year right yeah that's that is that is so crazy that is so crazy because these these are the guys that kind of built up baseball in our minds, in our childhood, right? And we watched them play for so long, and now it's just like, oh, boy. Wow, they're getting to be Hall of Fame age, huh? And honestly, before Jeter and and all them started to get in, the one Hall of Famer I could say I saw played was Ken Griffey Jr. when he signed with the White Sox, and that was like his last season or one of his last seasons. And then I saw Jeter play on his farewell tour. Um, But other than that, I, I, I don't I don't know how many Hall of Famers I've seen play in person. I think maybe just those two, and now it's gonna that's gonna start to change. Yeah, whether that's good or bad, it's, it's really hard to believe. But in terms of next year's ballot, you mentioned Hall of Fame rather than Hall of Very Good. I think there are a lot of Hall of Very Good players on this next crop. You've got Tim Lincecum, who's a legend and a cult hero in a lot of ways. You know, played a big factor in those early Giants teams for their stretch run of, of a bit of a dynasty there. And then David Ortiz, of course, I think he's probably going to get in. Uh, there's something to be said for steroid allegations there. And then of course, a rod 
who in a lot of people's minds is just nothing but a cheater. I wouldn't vote for him personally, myself. I'm not a steroid Hall of Fame guy, so I leave him off my ballot. I think about voting for Ortiz, although those allegations are still very much up in the air for Ortiz as well. Jimmy Rollins, not a guy in my mind that cracks that Hall of Fame number plateau. Ryan Howard, maybe, but probably not. There are a lot of guys that, again, in our mind, were very, very good players on very, very good teams. But baseball's Hall of Fame, you you got to have a little bit more than that. Yeah, I feel like it is so weird. Um, it takes so much to get into the baseball hall because you have to be very good. You have to be the best of the best for an extended period of time, and you have to not piss anyone off too. That's another thing that like people really don't think about is if you just like piss off the baseball writers, then you're just no longer a Hall of Fame worthy player, basically, which you know kind of sucks about baseball, but. Yeah, it, there's a really long list of guys who are in that hall of really good. Um, and this year is no exception. I think Tim Lincecum, like, you know, he had a really good two year, I think back to back Cy Young um, helped out when World Series teams, you could say, you know, he had that he was the best of the best for a certain, you know, small period of time, but he didn't have that longevity that you kind of need to get into the baseball hall. Um, David Ortiz, I agree, I think he will be a Hall of Famer. Um, there is some kind of clouds around his reputation, uh, similar to a lot of guys because of steroids and steroid allegations. Um, and I totally agree on Alex Rodriguez as well. I think for those reasons, he will not get in the hall, although he may be the best, um, you know, player out of this bunch definitely took steroids. Um, I saw even maybe as far back as high school, he was taking steroids. So That'll be interesting. Just kind of another one of those guys where we'll be talking about it for the next few years, like who votes for him and who doesn't and why he should be and why he shouldn't. Um, and then, yeah, these obviously aren't all the names eligible, but uh, those last few names there, Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, both all really good. Like you said, um, interesting to see. I kind of thought it was cool. AJ Pierzynski, uh, Jake Peavy, two guys who just kind of on the MLB uh, Instagram picture that they posted, or I actually think it was a tweet um that they showed up there as they are eligible now but people that i i would have never thought as a Sox fan like oh wow he, this could be a hall of famer watching especially you know not pierzinski jake pp was cool to trade for and he was really good but you know he's not a hall of famer How about but coco cool. crisp is name he hall, hall of fame, fame eligible wow, marlon he, bird name, name hall of fame for sure coco crisp that's a legend juan Arebe. white Sox hall of fame kyle loesch Angel Pagan, Omar Infante. Dude, half Billy of these Butler. guys, I swear to God, are still in the league. Like, this is Jake like Vogel song. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I, I love just sometimes, like, scrolling through old rosters and just seeing names. I'm like, oh, wow, I remember that guy. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and this, this is one of those moments where it's like, you mention it, like, oh, I swear half these guys are still in the league. Like, when did Coco Crisp retire? Yeah, exactly. Omar Infante, like there's like 10 Omar Infantes in the MLB right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's it's really hard to kind of grasp, but it, it will be interesting. And I think the whole Hall of Famer steroid debate, that's something that we can probably discuss a little bit more in the offseason because we'd probably go on for another whole two hours if we dug into that subject. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think maybe Kurt Schilling gets in next year. 
Okay. And it's going to be the final chance for Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Kurt Schilling. I hope Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens don't get in. At the end of the day, I think Kurt Schilling should get in, not a cheater. I think a lot of his personal choices and opinions have kind of jaded his Hall of Fame candidacy, and I'm not going to dig into politics or anything like that. But at the end of the day, should that come into play? Probably not. Uh, should Kurt Schilling get in? Probably. Um, so I think Kurt Schilling should probably get in. I don't like the guy personally, uh, but should he and will he get in? Uh, probably, I guess. Uh, but in terms of that, uh, nobody really jumps out to me next year. Yeah, he unfortunately forgot rule number three, though, uh, and decided to piss off a few people that he shouldn't have. Yes, so exactly. I think, you know, that's obviously why that's the question. <laughs> what were you thinking, Kurt? Um, you nailed it, though. Like, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think he totally should be. I don't think that that, you know, your personal opinions and how you kind of carry yourself, as long as it's within a certain line or within, you know, he's not breaking laws or anything. He's not cheating the game. He had a Hall of Fame career. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I totally agree with you. Uh, and I want to talk about someone who called it quits recently, just a couple of days ago now. Um, and kind of has that same little asterisk above his head, played really mm. well, um, but also, you know, did get caught with steroids. So Ryan Braun recently retired, um, announcing that just this week. What do you think about his career? Do you think he's got any chance at making the Hall of Fame? Um, obviously, he had that steroid issue, but no doubt that he was one of the best players in the league at his peak. I don't think he's got much of a shot at the Hall of Fame whatsoever. I think maybe if he didn't have the steroid thing, he'd get a little bit more consideration, but I don't think Ryan Braun's a Hall of Famer. Ryan Braun, when you say that name, there is no name I associate more with the Milwaukee Brewers outside of Ryan Braun, other than maybe Prince Fielder. And when I think Ryan Braun, I think villain. I think heel. He is the guy that I watched, you know, 12-year-old Larry watch and 10-year-old Larry watch destroy the Cubs when the Brewers were good and the Cubs were starting to rebuild. And honestly, the Brewers are a lot less hateable of a team than, say, the St. Louis Cardinals or even the Cincinnati Reds when they're good. And the Brewers are a really easy franchise, in my opinion, to root for because they're such a small market. But Ryan Braun, man, that's a guy that you love to hate. And you need a guy like that in every single rivalry. And there's something that I appreciate about that in a weird way, right? Because I watched him in a lot of games. I watched him destroy the Cubs in a lot of games. I watched him destroy other teams in a lot of games. And that's just another moment where it's like, wow, I'm getting old. And you knew that Ryan Braun was out of the league. I knew he was pretty much done. But this was a moment where I was like, okay, you kind of take a step back, look at the big picture think wow i'm getting old and two wow like this guy's legacy is so complicated because he was a winner in a lot of ways he was a loser in terms of the brewers could have won more and he really botched that whole steroid thing because he flat out lied about it for so long and then all of a sudden he admits that he did wrong and took steroids while he was trying to recover from an injury it's like he, was, he had so many different stories about it, and it just it made me lose a lot of respect for him in that moment, uh, and I still don't have a lot of respect for him for that. And a lot of people won't forgive him outside of Milwaukee, 
for that reason. And fair enough. I don't think a lot of people should forgive him. Will Salmon of The Athletic wrote a great article about it, kind of lays out the whole case with Ryan Braun's legacy in terms of should his number be retired and where does he rank among Brewers? He is one of the all-time greats for the Milwaukee Brewers, one of the greatest to ever put on that Milwaukee Brewers uniform. Should his number be retired? Probably. Is he a Hall of Famer? Probably not. And it's just such a weird, twisted, complicated legacy. But I'll always remember Ryan Braun as the villain. Yeah, I think you have a very unique perspective on that as a Cubs fan. You kind of got to transition from uh, being able to love to hate someone kind of uh, where he's just really good and you, you know, that's kind of a competitor where you're just kind of, you know, you have to deal with, you know, you kind of can respect that he's just a good ball player, but then obviously he came, he comes out and says, you know, I was lying, obviously did use the PEDs and that all changes at that point. You know, you just hate the guy. He's, he's good, but he cheated to do it. He lied about it. He's uh, playing for a rival. You have every reason to hate this guy. Um, and you know, if he plays well, that just gives you even more reason. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I obviously don't have that same kind of feeling towards Ryan Braun. Um, my first memories of him were, um, just him playing good postseason baseball. I remember, I think 2011 sitting in the Beaver Lodge in, in Wisconsin and, and watching him in October and, and just liking the guy. I don't know. I, it's just, you know, one of those guys where I guess I was an 11 year old, didn't realize um, that he was like an MVP, didn't realize that there was stuff about him using steroids. I don't even know if at that point there was anything about it. Um, and so I never had that. And then even when um, it obviously surfaced or whatever you want to say that he did use steroids, I still didn't have that extra amount of hate towards him that you did um, as a Cubs fan, I can imagine, after he had already tortured you guys, you know what I mean? So a uh, little bit of difference in viewpoint there. I can really only comment on the fact that I think he was a great player outside of the steroids. I wish that that hadn't tainted his career, um, but he's kind of an asshole because of it all. So maybe it's, you know, poetic justice that none of it all matters. He's a cheater. He didn't really win anything other than an MVP. And maybe it'll end up being forgotten just because of where he's kind of led himself to. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing with me the the word forgiveness i don't even know how much that means in terms of fans people that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things like me and you and obviously i hope to matter a little bit more than the fan level you know maybe get involved with baseball beyond that fandom level but how much does our opinion or our forgiveness really matter i don't think it does you know and frankly i hope ryan braun has a great retirement you know i hope he's comfortable (laughs) in his own skin But, man, he made my skin crawl when I was a Cubs fan. And I think the whole steroids thing was another excuse for me to just hate the guy even more. And it's just another one of those complex legacies that baseball fans are going to have to think about for a while because there are a lot of other players in that generation when, when the biogenesis scandal dropped. You know, Ryan Braun, among others, there are a few other players who were very good but also were implicated in that scandal um, and fans are going to kind of have to confront those, those standards, Bartolo Colon among them, you know, a, a guy who's generally a fan favorite. So I, I find it interesting how fans are, are quick to forgive some and maybe not so quick to forgive others. And Ryan Braun 
perhaps rightfully so, is not a guy I'm going to forgive quickly. And I, I've got a lot of memories of watching him play, most of them kind of poor. And he, he was a very clutch player. And I will say steroids or hitting so many times can't, can't teach clutch. And Ryan Braun was yeah. a real clutch. That's very true. Yeah, I think that there's some people – um, like as a fan of baseball that you just kind of put the tag of a steroid guy on some people just are steroid guys and some people realistically should be steroid guys but you just don't think of them as steroid guys I think like Nelson Cruz nobody really considers him like a, a juicer you know he he did he was suspended for it but I don't know it's just for some reason he doesn't yeah. have that same kind of connotation towards him I think Yasmani Grandal another guy like that people don't really consider him a juicer but I, you know, I think he had a suspension for PEDs, and it's just different. Yeah, obviously, Braun had that huge scandal, multiple players. Um, but then Bartolo, you don't really think of that same thing. You just kind of can look past him because of the lore of Bartolo. You know, he's everyone's favorite. But then Ryan Braun, all of a sudden, because he lied, because maybe because he was really good, um, it just really rubs you the wrong way and definitely leads to a different connotation just for him as a player. So I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think fans of course, always dictate the narrative media generally does, but the fans do as well, especially now in the day of Twitter. Yeah. And you know, you get this fangirl like following of certain players that can do no wrong. And I think Bartolo Colon is one of those guys and Ryan Braun, somebody who's villainized because of his play on the field and his actions off the field. And I think that's, that's kind of how I'll remember him. Definitely. Yeah. I think um, funny, actually, we got this written down here. One of the players that I was thinking you could kind of compare him to today's Ryan Braun would be like Christian Yelich. I think he's maybe like a, a left-handed Braun or at least was like a left-handed Braun, you know, real good, um, real good bat, maybe not the best defensively MVP level player, um, obviously very different. We've been talking about the steroids. There's nothing like that around Yelich, but that's kind of um, filling the same role that, that Braun did for the Brewers. That's kind of where Yelich has taken over. Um, and recently this week, actually, Yelich bought 10,000 tickets to then give away for Brewers fans at the Brewers Cardinals game this weekend. Uh, Larry, I want to know your opinions and your comments on that. Being in the division with the Brewers, how, that kind of seems sad to me, don't you think? As the Dom would say, Jesus Christ, Milwaukee. <laughs> I mean, here's a team who is so, so good, has dominated the division all year long. You've got a division rival in the St. Louis Cardinals coming to town. Don't you think that Milwaukee fans would just want to come to the game and pay the ticket and pay for parking, go in, tailgate, you know, buy your – buy your seat, fill up the stadium, make it a hostile environment. It, it takes your number one superstar to go in there and just buy out 10,000 tickets for a weekend series. Sure. It's cool. I think it's a great gesture. I mean, good for Christian Yelich. Fair enough, whatever it takes to get that place jumping, but it really takes that much to get Miller park or American family field or whatever the hell it's called now that intense. Like that's what it takes to get people out to the ballpark. That's kind of sad. Would, would Giannis have to buy 5,000 tickets to a single game to get people to show up? Definitely not. And we know that Milwaukee is a very good sports town. They get engaged for those bucks. They get engaged for the Packers who don't even play in Milwaukee. But here's the Brewers. 
the team that, you know, Bud Selig fought for to get in Milwaukee because he thought Milwaukee's a good market for baseball. Sure, it's the smallest market in all of baseball, but in the past they've drawn. I don't see why they wouldn't draw now because they've got a legitimate World Series contender. Yeah, exactly. I honestly, like, think of Milwaukee, like you said, kind of as a baseball city. Like, when Milwaukee baseball is good, I think they have a good fan base that gets behind them, and it's weird to me that Yelich has to do that, but I totally agree. I think it's, a, you know, cool for him to do that. I mean, here's the list of teams with 89 wins. Tampa Bay, Milwaukee, San Fran, Los Angeles. I mean, they're very good. They're This is one of the best teams in the league. They've been underrated all year. Uh, almost 13 games up on St. Louis for in the second place there. This team is far and away one of the best teams, and they're still struggling to get people to go support um, even this divisional game. Like, it's just super surprising. That seems like a White Sox type thing, but even the White Sox have been able to get fans out, you know? So um, I don't know if that's going to be an issue. Like, come playoff time, I'm sure when the games are actually there, the atmosphere and the fans in Milwaukee will be there. They'll they'll show up and um, cheer on Milwaukee as they should, but just kind of expected more from those fans. I mean, it's good baseball being played there. Go go see some good baseball. No kidding. I mean, honestly, I saw that and I was like, hmm, what am I doing this weekend? Obviously, I can't drive up to, to Milwaukee to see some baseball, but I'd do it. Right. Like, the Brewers are that good, like you mentioned. I mean, among the best of the best in baseball. That's a great point you make. There's only four teams that have won 89 games, and those are the teams that we mention every single week on the podcast, except Milwaukee because they're kind of in the same boat as – the White Sox in terms of, okay, they've kind of run away with the central division, um, 12 and a half games up on second place, St. Louis. So it's a foregone conclusion that Milwaukee has won the central division. Uh, so we just don't talk about them as much, but they're right up there, which is so impressive to me. They're right up there with the Dodgers and giants. Those are big market teams that go out there and spend a lot. The Brewers really didn't do that. And they're still real, real good. Yeah, and they have the pitching staff that, you know, makes you think that this isn't just like a one-and-done type team. Like, um, they have the pitching to win the World Series, not just win one division. I mean, starting pitching, I don't know if anyone's going to toss out a better three than Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. Um, exactly like you said, they're they're just as good as the Dodgers. They don't have the lineup um, top top to bottom that the Dodgers do but they compete pitching wise, just as good as anyone. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously no one's going to want to play in Milwaukee. I think uh, LA and San Fran both have their own issues to deal with in that division. But as soon as they get past, you know, whether it's a one game wild card or whatever, and they realize that they have to play Milwaukee, whoever that is, that is just as tough as whoever they play in the first round. So, um, you know, Milwaukee fans get your ass out there some good baseball you're missing. I think this team's better than the White Sox, better than the Yankees, better than just about any team in the AL outside of Tampa. Um, and it's just a, a shame really that they're not getting the support uh, right now in the, in the heart of it, in the heart of September. Come on. Yeah, it's nuts. Come on, Milwaukee. What are we doing here? We need <laughs> Brewers need to sign Giannis. <laughs> I mean, basically he is part of the team co-owner now. So that's true. I don't know. Maybe that's what it takes. How, how about we wrap this thing up, Lucas? It's been a, been a good evening of talking baseball. This day Always in baseball is. history, 
we I've got a great throwback for you. This is perhaps the earliest this date in baseball history we've ever done. On this date, September 15th in 1884, Merdian, which I have no idea where Merdian is. I think it's in Connecticut. It's in the, the Connecticut State League. So Merdian, a team in the Connecticut State League, was leading 5-3 to three in the top of the ninth inning of a game. They won the game when Hartford forfeited because they would not use a new baseball, which was required because the previous baseball was hit into a marsh located behind home plate. They would not use a new baseball because it did not come from a box, which was sealed by the league secretary. (laughs) So they basically just said, I'm not getting it. Yeah, they said, we're not going to get that baseball. We're not using a new one. Have the game. (laughs) That is so funny. Yep. They're like, all right, well, you guys win. And now baseball, it's like, if, you know, you blow on a baseball the wrong way, you can get one. They probably go through 500 baseballs a game now. Yes. Yes. The ball hits the dirt. Give it a look, throw it away. You know, exactly. It's in like an alligator's mouth, like Chubbs or whatever the guy's name from Happy Gilmore is about to go lose a hand getting the baseball back, but can't you won't play with a new one? That is hilarious. That's that is 1884 in a nutshell. If I remember yes, that season oh, correctly, that just that just sums it up for me. Yes, Connie Mack hit the only home run in that game. <laughs> I'm not I'm not even joking. Connie Mack, really? the the future Hall of Fame manager, was the only. Uh, Home run hitter in that contest. Oh my gosh! When you Connie say, Mack back in the day, you say Connie slugger. Mack, it makes me think of Tony Larusa, and then Tony Larusa in eighteen eighty four, and oh my god, it just makes me feel like I have a really old manager when you mention that. Uh, we'll all be old someday, Lucas. Let's not make fun that's, of Tony now. That's true. Yeah, we don't need to. We don't need to kick him while he's down. Probably We're slowly so creeping up there, as as we discussed throughout the episode, but. I think that's a that's a great place to wrap it up. At least we don't have to swim into marshes to chase down baseballs anymore. Yeah, We've come a true. long way. Yeah, maybe we don't have to fix the sport after all. Uh, we broke down a lot this week. Week seven was fun. Touched on a few topics maybe we didn't get to last week too. Some extra baseball talk for you guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Larry Larson, I know it was fun for me. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Always is. And that was Hit by Pod, episode seven. I pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith. Because there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos. It will be a home run.